Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. We are we're in week nine of this series, and throughout this message series, we've been trying to just understand what's the flow of the Bible. What is it that, that God is telling us in the Bible? What's this story all about? And so, last week we looked at the redemption story, and and what was the impact of Christ's death? We looked at and we tried to answer that question. How did that impact uh, your and my life? And and uh, when Christ sacrificed Himself. Uh, that that really changed things for us in our position before God. It we no longer need to live under sin. We no longer need to live under the the consequences, uh, the the full consequences of sin of of the guilt that really has defined the human story since the fall of man. And so God, you know, God sent Jesus, and His blood was shed. And we looked at how Christ's blood was shed in a sacrificial way, and really that was set up in stories before. In, God, in the history of God's people, we saw sacrifice after sacrifice being offered. And so Christ comes, and He provides the ultimate sacrifice. And so He did that so we could experience forgiveness and a freedom to really relate to God, our Heavenly Father. And so after Christ's death, and after His burial and resurrection, uh, Jesus appeared alive several times. He, he just would appear to people and He would relate to them. And He was providing convincing proofs in His uh, resurrected body that He truly was alive. And so He did this on a number of occasions to His closest disciples. He also did this to a large group of people, over 500 people at one point. He, he appeared to them resurrected. And this was very important. People seeing the risen Christ was a, it was an essential part of, of what God wanted to, to reveal. Because when His followers saw Him die, they, they really lost hope. They, they, they'd put their hope in Him, then they saw Him crucified. And so they had lost hope. And so all of these appearances of Jesus was really proof that He was actually, He was indeed alive. He'd conquered death. He, he was truly God. So... Uh, Forty days after his resurrection, I want to look at a passage, and we'll start there. It's in Acts chapter one. If you if you brought a Bible, you can flip to Acts chapter one. It's the fifth book in the New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible. And so, in Acts chapter one, we're going to see how he is he, he is sending or commissioning his followers to really do their part in creating a movement to reach. The world, and so we're going to see this final conversation. This is in Acts one, and you can also use this listening guide. So you can follow along. This will be a help to you. And so let's let's read this. It says in Acts one verse eight, Jesus is saying this to his his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so this this answers the question of how how are we going to change the world? Well, you need power. There's something you're lacking right now. The disciples were lacking the power to really do this. And so, Jesus is saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And He's telling them about something that would be happening soon. Ten days from this conversation, the Holy Spirit would indwell, would come upon the church, and indwell all, it would indwell the believers from, from that point on. And they would have the power of God within them, living inside of them. And so, this was what was really critical. This was what was needed. They, they did not have the ability to really change the world on their own power. And so he, he tells them, you're, you're going to receive this power. And then he says this, and you will be my witnesses. 
in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they, this word witness here, witnesses, it's the Greek word marturius, and it, it's where we'd get the word martyr. And so, it wasn't just that they would be speaking with their life, but they would be paying a price with their life. These are people that would be martyred. All, all of these disciples um, that received this commission right here um, suffered. They, they sacrificed. They willingly suffered. Uh, all of them but one was, was killed for their faith. One of them was exiled for his faith and you know, exiled to an island to live out the end of his days. And, and so he's saying, you're going to be my witnesses. And again, this is a, um, this is more than just being a spokesperson. They were actually going to live this out to the end. And so there would also be the scope of the movement. So we see the scope from Jerusalem to all Judea and, you know, Samaria to the end of the earth. The, the movement would kind of have this ripple effect from the city that they were in to the region they were in. And it would, it was going to reach out to the rest uh, of, of the world through these men. Now, right here in Riverside, we are, I looked this up, we are 7,595 miles from Jerusalem. Okay? So somehow that message got from this group in Jerusalem all the way to Riverside. 7,595. That's, that's a long flight. I've never flown to, to the Holy Land. But uh, this, this powerful message has had a huge, huge impact to really arrive here and to reach into different parts of our world that did not know Christ. So, look again at verse, back at the verses. Verse 9 says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on Jesus, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These were angels. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven. So they're all just like looking up. Jesus ascends into heaven. Why are, you, why are you looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. So this is a promise of Christ's return here. But this begins the movement of the church because Jesus is no longer with them. And now, basically, after Jesus finishes His mission, here's what's happening. Jesus finishes His mission and now He passes the baton to his followers. This is a big handoff here. Okay, Jesus is saying, look, you, you have the message inside of you. The power is coming. I've done this work here. I've accomplished what needed to be accomplished. It's finished. He paid the price on the cross. He finished his assignment. And so now he's saying, look, it's yours. Run with it. Okay, So he, he's, he's no longer with them. Go take this message be on mission. Live this out. I'll, I'll show you. You've known how to love God, how to love one another. Go reach this city. Go reach this region. And, and then the world. And so not long after this, the power switch is turned on for the church. He, he sent them. And he gave this, this commissioning. They still needed the power. And so flip to chapter 2. And you're going to see where the power switch comes on. Acts 2.1 says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived... This was a, a feast, uh, a feast fifty days, uh, fifty days basically after resurrection. Okay, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound 
like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So they were gathered in this upper room and all of these disciples were gathered. This wind blows through the house and it fills up the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, if you look at your program, if you look at the front of your program, you'll see pictures of the different scenes of the messages that we've done. And you'll see the, you know, the kind of like a flame above one of the, one of the disciples. And so this is to symbolize, you know, what was going on is, in some way, the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered each of them to, to be able to speak in different languages, in a different tongue. And it says this, in verse 5, Now there were, dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Okay, now, basically in the history of God's people, we looked at this a few weeks ago, because of poor leadership, kings who were, who were wicked, uh, God allowed invaders to come in and take over uh, the Holy Land, basically take over that region. And so many people were scattered around the region, living in different countries from that point on. And so hundreds of years before all this took place, the Jews were just kind of spread out. They were scattered. They call it the diaspora. The fact that they were just spread out amongst the land in, that, in, the, in the different areas. And they began to still... Uh, uh, you know, gathered together. However, this was a significant thing to come back to Jerusalem and to, and to celebrate holy days and feasts. And so, people were there to celebrate this um, holy season. And so, these Jews who lived in foreign lands but still were of Jewish descent, they were there. They were gathering, and they could hear. They could hear things. They could hear. In verse 6, At this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So the disciples who were now in, who were now being filled with the Holy Spirit were able to speak the message of Jesus but in, in these different languages as God's Spirit allowed them to do it. And so people are wondering, what's going on? I can understand this message in my, in my own native tongue from the land that I've been living in. And so, Peter, people are wondering, what, what's going on? Are these men drunk? And Peter stands up and he gives this powerful message about Jesus. And he begins to share what Jesus did. And he, he, as he's pulling at everyone together who have questions, um, he's connecting the dots for them. Because they understand, wow, I can understand this message in my own native tongue. And so, Peter, he begins to just preach Jesus to them. And God draws all these people to respond to him. And at the end of Peter's message, here's how they respond. This is in verse 37 of the same chapter. Chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, it says, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? Because they, they heard God was speaking to them through this situation. And Peter said to them, repent. Okay, he uses a, a word Repent, and it's not a term that we use often, but in the Greek, the, the idea with, with the word repent has to do with a change, or I change, I change my, my mindset. It's a change in my mindset. Change begins with us, with a shift in our heart, with a shift in our mind. 
which then changes our behavior. If we want to change things about our life, we have to begin to rethink things, right? And so Peter says to them, look, repent. Change your mind about your whole life. Change your mind about who's going to lead your life. Repent. Turn around. Start going God's way. Repent. And then he says, and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone who, whom, call, whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Okay? Now, verse 40 says this, And with many other words he bore witness, this is Peter, and he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay? Wow. People right then and there said, Hey, I'm in. I'm in. I want Christ to be my Lord. I, I'm not ashamed to go public. I'm ready to shift my mindset. I'm ready to identify myself with Him. As a Christ follower, I'm in. Now, we as a church just held a baptism. And here's a picture of that baptism. You can take a look at that. These are the folks that we baptized. And 19 people from our, from our church went public in their face. Some of you are in this room right here. And this was an exciting day as you, as you said, look, I'm not ashamed. I'm in. Christ is my Lord. The Bible's my guide. Like, I'm in. I identify myself as a Christian publicly. This is, this is huge. This is what was happening in, in, in that day where Peter gives clarity to what happened as the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Now remember, the Holy Spirit coming upon the church was what they needed because they didn't have the power to form a church. They didn't have a power to propel or launch a movement. They needed God. And so God comes upon them in the Holy Spirit and comes to indwell the Christians. Who, what? They begin to proclaim the message of Jesus in a way that impacts thousands of people who come to know and come to, to have faith in Christ. Now, about this, this picture for us, anytime we do a baptism for us, it's a huge celebration. There's kids, there's adults, there's people who are, who are, or who are or who have recently decided to turn and shift their mindset and begin to say, hey, I'm, I'm in. I'm one of Christ. I belong to Him. So back to the text. The big question comes up now. You know, like, now what do we do? Peter preaches. He says, repent. And what do they do? A bunch of them repent. 3,000 souls are added that day. Imagine going from this small band of followers to now thousands of people at one point responding. What do you do? What do you focus on? How, how do you go from this tiny group to 3,000? And so look, look at the next set of verses. This is, what they just, this is how God began to develop them as, as, a, as an early church, as that earliest church. Verse 42 says this. This is also in your listening guide. And they devoted themselves... This is what the church did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is pretty exciting. So this is what the church decided to do. This is what... This is what they were empowered to do. And I want to summarize what the church was about and is still all about. Okay, and so I'm going to list these things out. And we'll fill in your listening guide. The church is still determined to do these things. And you see these things expressed in that passage there. The the church is still determined to love. We are still determined. They were determined to love one another. They had a radical devotion to God and to one another. They loved each other. Really, if you look at it, What's that describing? It's describing the love of a family. People really cared about each other. It wasn't just lip service. They really loved one another in practical ways. When needs came up within the church, they would take care of each other. It says that people didn't view their belongings as, oh, this is my stuff, hands off, or this belongs to me. No. Instead, as needs came up, people were meeting needs. Possessions were being sold and, and people's belongings weren't just... Cl- claimed as their own, but they were seeing, oh, this, this is a need over here. We, we have the ability to meet that need. And so resources were pooled. This is still a mark of the church. The church is to have a radical love towards God and towards one another. That when needs come up within the body, as we are aware of those needs, that we would say, hey, I, I, I think we can meet this need. I think God has provided within the body to meet the need of the body. Also, the church, and we, we've seen that through, through the low points of, of people's lives in our congregation. We've seen people come alongside. Sometimes it's a small group that just takes initiative to meet the need of, of someone in their group. Or sometimes it's on a larger scale effort. But, but this, this is the love that really is to mark us as a church. Also, the church has a centerpiece. We have a mission. And so, fulfilling our mission, we're still determined. They were about this. They wanted to fulfill their mission. We're still about that. This is what drives us. Christ, when He came to earth, He said He was on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And He told stories about people who'd lost things. And He said, when we lose something, don't we go on a frantic search to find something? He says, that's why I've come. I've come to seek and save the lost. Just like if you lost money, you'd sweep up the house and you'd make sure you find that money. Or if, you, if, you, if you're a shepherd and you lose a sheep that runs off, you, you, you go after that lost sheep. That's why I'm here. I came to come to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus was about. And when He passed the baton to, the followers, to His followers, He said, look, I want you to be about this. Fulfill this mission. Seek and save the lost. Evangelism. Helping those who are not uh, you know, followers of, of Christ Helping people find and follow Christ is really why we exist. This is the centerpiece of why we exist as a church. This is what needs to drive the local church. And so, Jesus is saying, look, you be the witnesses. You be witnesses in your city, in your region, in this area. You know, and even that God would use us and some of you to go and reach you know, to the ends of the earth. There was also a sense of urgency in the early church. And that, need, that needs to still be a part of uh, how we view things. That we would sense urgency. We've got to get this message out. The mission needs to be driving us to the point where we're saying, how do we get this message out to more people? It can't just be about us. How do we get this out to those that I know that don't know Christ? 
I, I love as the church when we work together to to share our faith, whether it's through an event and that we put on an event for our community and we say, hey, let's let's pull the body together, let's pull the team together, let's pull the family together, and let's serve together for this one night. And we're just gonna we're just gonna throw everything we can at it, all of our resources, our time. We're gonna plan. We're gonna sacrifice. We're gonna we're gonna this is going to cut into our schedule. Why? Because this is the mission. This is what we're about. And we've done that. We've done that for some of our events this past year. Last year, we, we've pulled the family together and we're on mission together. And that's exciting. Some of you, you're, embar- you're involved in small groups who, this is what you're doing. Your, your group is saying, hey, how do we live on mission with one another? We have limited time together. Maybe a year, maybe a semester, maybe a couple years. But how do we use our resources and our time? How do we sacrifice as a family to do this kind of thing. That's, that's what we're about. That's what they were about. That's what we still want to be about. Third, also the church would gather. The church is still determined to gather together. In Acts 2, 42-47, we see this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to instruction, to fellowship, to breaking bread together. They would gather and they would remember Christ's sacrifice they would gather to get the teaching. They would, they would gather to be instructed. They would gather for encouragement. And they would do that, it says, in the temple and from house to house. And so what that meant was they had this large gathering in the temple and they had these small gatherings in homes. So there's the large gathering and there's the small gathering. What we try to do as a church is we try to model those two types of gatherings. We gather weekly on a Sunday to, to, to celebrate Celebrate Christ's resurrection. The fact that Jesus is alive. This is a celebration for us every single week. The large group gathering. We sing for joy because of what He's done. We celebrate. We, we look to His Word in order to reprioritize our lives and our thinking. To shift our mindsets. We want to reorient our, our life. And so we gather together as a large group to celebrate. It's like one big party every week. And sometimes, you know, it's hard. Let's face it. You know, so you come off of a, of a busy weekend and, and you're like, oh, this is hard. But at some point during the middle of the service, most of the time our heart just like, yes, yes. We start celebrating and joining in in the song. It may take a song or two and then finally you're like, yes, I'm, I'm with you. And Cody, he's up there. He's trying to lead us into worshiping God and he helps set the pace as he leads. But then at a certain point we, we click on and we're like, yes, I agree. I'm celebrating with this group. But we gather, because that, that's what he wants. At the same time, we gather in small groups. We're just about to wrap up another round of small groups. We've, we've had some of your groups that lasted for about four months, five months. Some of you have been in groups that have lasted for almost a year, and some for even two years. And, and the picture we see in the Bible about the gathering is that it's not like a movie or a, or a, a ball game where you come and you're a spectator and you just watch... What's going on up on the stage? That's not the picture of, of the of the church gathering. The picture is, it's like we're in the gym together. We're in the gym. Everyone's on the gym floor. And everyone's working out. Everyone's doing something. Everyone's participating. The church is like that, to where we're engaging. We're experiencing the Christian life together. We're, we're the baton has been passed to us, and now we're running. We're in the game. We're in the race. And so, as a church, we want people who are serving. We want people doing ministry together. We want people encouraging one another, praying for each other when, when there's a need that comes up. Sharing. This is life 
to life. And so, you're not just ahead here for a head count. You matter. The name tags really are because we want to know people's names. Sometimes we snap photos because we're like, we want to know the names and faces of the people that, that are a part of OCC because this is a family. And, and as we grow, we don't want to lose that relational feel. Also, the church is still determined to equip. You see this in the gathering in Acts 2. There was training going on. There was mentoring going on. People were being developed. And it wasn't just at the church, but it was going on, again, from house to house. And another aspect of this is people people were raising, in the early church, they were raising and training their kids to walk with God. This was the parents' responsibility to train and equip. And so the church could come alongside a family and, and help them in that effort. Because it's a real challenge. And so we want to do that as, as a ministry. With our kids' ministry, with our youth, we want to come alongside families who are trying to train and equip young ones, the next righteous generation, to walk with God. And, and things can't remain stagnant in our lives. And so, in the church, in the early church, you see there's this growth edge. There's this challenge before them. We need to be growing and moving forward. We need to buy, be buying up the training opportunities we need to be making commitments. We need to be learning about our gifts and using them to serve the body. And all of this was occurring in order to do this final thing. In order to eventually multiply. The church was multiplying. That's the last thing there that we see is, is churches in, in the first century were, being sprouting, were sprouting up. Christ said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what God did was He eventually began to push the church out of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to where churches began to be sprouted. Missionaries were sent out to reach the unchurched far from Jerusalem. And that message has somehow arrived here in, in our state, in our city, from missionaries, you know, from people who are willing to say, I'll go and I'll be a witness for Christ in this place. And now... You know, in in this area, there's multiple churches. But but in the case of the first century, the church grew like wildfire under very, very challenging conditions. There was religious opposition, there was political opposition. But from a small band of followers to what some would say now is about 2.2 Christians worldwide. Like this movement has grown and grown and grown. And you, you're a part of that. And, and just a quick word about the New Testament because this message is somehow supposed to summarize, in my mind, as I outline this out, the whole New Testament. So, good luck on that. But In the New Testament, you have three different divisions, three major divisions in the Bible. You have the history books, you have the letters, and you have prophecy. And the history books are uh, the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are all books about uh, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you just you see the story of Jesus as told from four different accounts. And my New Testament professor, he would compare the Gospels to like... He said, it's like you have different accounts to an accident. He said, if there's a car accident and you were to have four people at the intersection but standing on different corners and a reporter were to, were to go up to each of them and saying, hey, what did you see? And what did you see? And what did you see? They all saw the same accident. 
But they're, they're describing different things from their point of view. And so, when you read the Gospels, you kind of see the different point of view from the different uh, Gospel writers. And then after the, the Gospels, you come to the book of Acts, which is what we were looking at this morning. The book of Acts is a history book also, but it records the acts of the church, or the acts, the acts of the apostles who were empowered by the Holy Spirit to spread the message of Jesus. So in Acts, you read about the growth and the history of, of the early church, the earliest church. And then after that, you've got 21 letters. So from the book of Romans on, you have 21 letters until you get to a final, uh, a final book that is a book of prophecy. But in the letters, you have letters to churches, you have letters to the the church at large, you have letters even to church leaders. And so as a church, what we tend to do is we study the letters because the letters in the Bible are packed full of instruction. They're full of equipping points. They're full of theology, which is our core beliefs. And so we study as a church the letters. Most churches, they really spend a lot of time in the, in the New Testament letters because they were written to the church. And so we want to understand what is the instruction God has for the church. Then the last book in the Bible is the book of Revelation. And we're going to look at that book next week. And it reveals what will happen at, in the future to the church and really to human history. What, what is going to happen? And so, uh, but I want to wrap up by highlighting the fact that God used common people to change the world. God used common people to spark this movement. He didn't use religious superstars. The disciples themselves were just ordinary people. They worked normal jobs. They were not the pedigree Ivy League folks. They were just normal people. If you ever visit or have visited the great cathedrals in Europe, you'd find this kind of stained glass uh, throughout the cathedrals. Stained glass scenes. And you have in your mind an idea that begins to form, which is, man, there are these stained glass apostles. These disciples are like stained glass characters. And so we begin to assume that the apostles are these larger than life saints with halos and in nice robes. They all look nice and clean. And they, in our minds, they have this some, some sort of exalted high degree of spirituality, don't they? The apost- they're the apostles. Ooh, but these guys were common, ordinary men. They didn't have halos. They didn't have like, you know, the degrees behind them. They were ordinary men, hardworking class men from a insignificant town where nothing significant ever happened. That's the people that God chose to spark the movement. It's pretty exciting, if you ask me. But yet they responded to Christ's call to follow Him, to leave things behind and to make their lives about this mission. They were obedient and look at what God did through that group. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 1. It says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were noble. Not many were of noble birth. Meaning, if God had chosen by human standards, He would have passed that group by. Verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He... He, he chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. He flipped the world's standards upside down, basically. And he used the ordinary. And here's why he did that. Verse 29, So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Nobody can say, hey, look at what I did. 
No, this was about what God did. And because of Him, meaning because of God, only because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. That's right thinking. Righteousness. That's right living. And sanctification and redemption. Because of Christ, we have a clean slate. We have a fresh start. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He did all of this so that when we look at what has been accomplished in our life or through the church or through the churches of the world collectively, all we could do is say, wow, praise God. Praise God for what He has done through a group of ordinary people like them, like us. The big question for us is, will we be used by God to play our role? We've been passed the baton. Will we accept that and then actually play a role in what God wants to do? Will we be marked by love? Will we be driven by this type of mission? Will we be faithful to gather together? Will we be committed to, to be equipped? And then really, at the, at the appropriate times, will we help to multiply God's work that He wants to do around the world? Will, will I see my life as a part of that? Will I, will I use my life, my resources, my time to really help advance what God is doing? Uh, I have an example that I want to share of a couple who's trying to live this out. And so I've invited Eric and Janelle Lanier to, to join me up on the stage. And you guys can come up here. Come on over here. here. This is Eric and Janelle, and they are a part of a ministry called Apartment Life. That, and I've asked them to come and share with us a little bit about what they've been doing with Apartment Life since they got married, pretty much. They got married recently. Well, when was that? I did the wedding. I should know. In December. <laughs> so, here you go. I, so, they're going to tell us a little bit about what they're, what they're doing with Apartment Life and then why they're doing that. And so, uh, I wanted, I've been looking for an opportunity to have them share. And so, I thought this is a really a great Sunday to, to have them express what they're doing. And... Uh, my hope is that it will spark some thoughts and ideas in, in all of you about, wow, look at, look at what they're doing. wonder what God would want me to be a part of in, in, in my neck of the woods. And so. so, apartment life refers to itself as a business tree. So, um, a business we, tree? Like a, like a business and a ministry. Oh, okay, business so, um, so, we basically work for the apartment life ministry, and then we also work for our property manager at our apartment community. So, that's the business part of it. Um, it really boils down to five different areas or facets. So um, the first one is events. So three times a month we plan events for our apartment community. Um, So we live in an apartment community over by UCR. Um, It's actually like right next door. And um, we plan one large event and two small events every month. Um, The goal in that is for us to help um, foster community within our apartment um, so that people can get to know each other, but also for us to be able to connect with people. Um, The second part of that is welcomes and renewals. So whenever a new family, individual, or students move in, we go to their apartment, introduce ourselves. Um, They call us the CARES team. Um, That's what they refer to us as. So we introduce ourselves as the CARES team. We tell them a little bit about what we do, and then we try to get to know them and just welcome them to the neighborhood. Um, And in all of these things, our goal is to have opportunities to, and take opportunities to identify with Christ um, and kind of begin a relationship with them. Um, The third part is CARE acts. So we try to see if there are any needs, kind of like what Josh was talking about, in our apartment community. Um, An example of this is we had a woman who moved in with her daughter. They moved from overseas, and they didn't have any furniture. 
and we were actually getting rid of some furniture, so we gave it to her. Um, but other examples would be if someone had surgery or lost a loved one, we would, um, if that news got to us, we would take them a meal and just um, try to connect with them and support them through that time. A lot of the people that we live with don't have any community. Um, we've actually had people tell us that they don't have any friendships. Um, so this is a real opportunity for us in these three ways to connect and to really um, serve and love them. And then um, the fourth way is relating with encouraging, supporting, and helping the office staff. Um, I meet with our property manager every week and we kind of just talk about what's going on in the community, what we're putting on, but also I get to connect with her personally and then the rest of the office staff during that time. And then um, just even recognizing birthdays and things like that we try to do. And then the last part is um, for apartment life. At the end of every month, we have to fill out a report of all the events that we did, how many people came, um, what like some highlights were from the events and then also the ways that we cared for people, the welcomes and renewals we did. There's a lot of accountability and then also within that we um, report any spiritual conversations that we've had or any opportunities we've had to really share about Christ with people. Um, so that's basically a rundown of what we do. Um, we attend monthly trainings with Apartment Life. Um, and yeah. So before Eric shares kind of the why behind this, so they, they were married in December and uh, th- this ministry actually had contacted us and, and were, was asking, hey, is there any couples in your church that would maybe be interested in helping to reach a community, an apartment community across from UCR? And so um, they came to mind. The, there are some very relational folks in our church. Janelle's been a part of our church for over eight years and, and Eric for probably almost six years. And so uh, both very active in, in getting to know people, helping others come to Christ, um, and using their time and, and energy to to help move the mission forward, and so um, so tell us a little bit about the why, Eric. Why? Well, we're talking about being on mission today. That's really why we do it. We want to be on mission with God, and we really want to help people come to know Christ. Uh, Janelle and I have been changed by by Jesus by coming to know Him, and so we want people to experience that. Um, that doesn't mean that we're gonna all these people are going to come to know him through our ministry, but we can definitely plant seeds and we can definitely be their friend and show that Christians aren't weird or that they don't care. You know, there's kind of a stereotype out there so that we actually care about them more than just them coming to know Christ. We actually just want to be their friend, too. So that's a big reason. That's the main reason why we do it. Uh, Another reason is and it's similar is relational evangelism. So the way apartment life does relational evangelism is very similar to how, what we, how we do things here. And so it's really just meeting people where they're at and being their friend. And as that happens, identifying with Christ and sharing more as opportunities come up, building trust with them. And so that's another main reason why we do it. Um, and we've been equipped to do that here. And so we want to, we want to pour out in that way. Uh, and then the, the last reason is really tra- it's a good training opportunity for us. We really get to do ministry, and that's caring for people. Um, you know, whether it's taking furniture or welcoming someone um, or putting on an event and, and building community, that's doing ministry. And in that, we're we're kind of at the stage now where we're trying to we've met some people, we've made some friendships. Now it's like, okay, we need to go deeper with them and invite them over to our apartment and spend more time with them. So that's, we wanted to do ministry and it's great training for us as a new married couple too, to learn how to work together and um, push the mission forward uh, as a couple. And so, that's great. 
Yeah, it's great. We have a couple of photos of some of their events. So this is a uh, photo of one of, what is this photo of? That was uh, a lawn games event we did a few weeks ago. So that's, um, there's, you know, and there's a few residents right there kind of on the right. And then one of the guys in there is our mentor team that they recently finished doing CARES in Rancho Cucamonga. Okay. And then this is another event. Um, is that the pizza event? Yeah. All right. And then here's a final. This is a, go to the next slide. So that's an example of a flyer that we do. So we'll, we make a big flyer, like a colored flyer, and we put that in the office and around the community, and then we make smaller versions of that, and we put it on every door in the community. So that's a good example. Janelle's the mastermind behind the flyers. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wanted yeah. to, to thank you guys for sharing. I appreciate you guys coming up here. I'll take that. <laughs> Janelle and Eric, have they have a platform through this ministry, Apartment Life. And so I just wanted to make you aware of it. I wanted to ask you to be praying for them. And, but also, y- you all have a platform as well. Some of you, your street is your platform. You're getting to know people on, in your street, who you live near. You know, needs come up. People, people have needs. People have relational needs. They have f- uh, physical, financial needs. As you hear about those needs, you can, you, you, your family, your, your, circle of, of relationships within our church can help come alongside and meet those needs as well. Some of you, it's your coworkers, but you know, just be thinking about what, what is it specifically? How, how God wired me to, to get this message out to people? Uh, I appreciate you guys being willing to share what you're doing. They're, they're, they've made this commitment for two years, and so there, there are plenty of opportunities um, to be the church. And to, to live this out. Uh, I want to highlight a couple next steps today as we, as we wrap things up. If you flip to the back of your listening guide, the first one is to evaluate my commitment to advance Christ's mission. Is to be thinking this week about your commitment level towards the mission that, that Christ has given. And secondly, a very specific one is uh, to, if, there, if you would like to help the Lanier's reach out through this ministry, uh, they, they, several people from our church have already served in some of their events. And so, a lot of their events, like these, the late night breakfast event that they held, it requires a team of people to help with set up, tear down, and interaction at those events. So if you would like to just check that out, see what that's like for them. Um, if you, if you mark on your connection card, and Bruce will, will mention this again in a moment, but if you mark that, then We'll collect those, give those names to the Lanier's so that they could have a, a larger group of people who over the next two years, maybe you'd serve one time in the next year and a half and, and helping them to put on one of these events. And so um, wanted to throw that out there and ask you to consider that. And then we've left the, lo- the final one just blank if there's something specific God's asked you to do in response to uh, this morning's message. So let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the work you're doing through your church. And uh, Father, we, it's a privilege for us to have been passed the baton by Jesus and to have the opportunity to run in this race and to not be just a spectator, but Lord, to be a participant in what you're doing in the world, to redeem the world. And so, God, we ask that you would help us all to be in that race, to be active, Lord, to be serving. 
Lord, we thank you for the work you're doing in us and through our church. We pray that you'd help us to continue to uh, be about your mission, Lord. Help us not to get sidetracked on on the non-issues, Lord, that could busy up our, our schedules and calendars. But Lord, help us to be about uh, helping people come to know you and experience the, the life you want to give. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.